As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to episode 94 of the Keith Law Show. I will be joined today by Sports Illustrated writer Emma Bacellieri to talk about several things she wrote recently there, including the sweeper slider that is sweeping the majors. There's got to be a better way to say that. Also, the death of Roger Angel, whether Mets and or Brewers fans should feel comfortable in their division leads, and several more topics. For subscribers to The Athletic, uh, paused a little bit on content right now as we wait for a couple of things to happen, um, not the least of which is I'll be hopefully going to see Kumar Rocker pitch in his independent league debut this weekend in upstate New York. One or two folks did ask if I would be there and if I would sign a book. If you are nearby and uh, want to, would like me to sign a copy of one of my books, or I suppose something else I could sign also, um, feel free. I'll be at the game, and I should get there, hope to get there a little bit early, so I would love to chat with a few of you. Most recent things I've done for The Athletic, I did a redraft of 2012's draft. Uh, you can see both the redraft, 1 through 30, how I think they would go today if teams were drafting based on what they know now, and a run-through of the players in the first round who didn't make that redraft, some of whom were just outright misses and some of whom have had creditable careers but just haven't done enough to make the top 30 for the redraft. Also over at Paste Magazine, I have uh, a I have a new review coming up this week. I don't know exactly what day it will be posted, but of Three Sisters, which is a roll and write game for folks who uh, are familiar uh, with that particular genre. You roll dice and mark off things on your score sheets it is probably the best new game I've played this year, certainly one of the two best new games I've played this year. And last week I reviewed Azul Queen's Garden, which is, for those of you who've played Azul, it is the fourth game in the Azul series and probably the most different from the original. I think it's a good game, but I don't think it really quite measures up to the first game, which really had that perfect combination of simplicity and still and a requirement of sufficient strategy to make it interesting and highly replayable. 
Well, now it is my pleasure to be joined by longtime friend and uh, Sports Illustrated baseball writer, Emma Bacellieri. Hopefully I said that correctly. Oh, yes, got the full accent. and uh, Absolutely. Yes, important. Yes. Do you know where your heritage is in Italy? Yes. Oh, so the name Bacellieri is from Bari. Um, and my father oh, yeah. and grandfather are going for the first time in like two months and are extremely excited about it. Oh, my God. That um, is awesome. That's the heel, right? Uh, yeah, the kind of. of. The boot. Yes. yes. Um, but then I also have Sicilian heritage uh, mixed in there, too. Yes, I do, too, actually. I know the branches I know are Genovese, although even like if I go back two generations, they're not actually from Genoa. They're from the Adriatic coast. They're like from a fishing village and like lots of peasant people, right, moved to the city to get work right. or whatever. And then Sicily. And apparently this was a huge scandal when my northern Italian grandfather wanted to marry my Sicilian grandmother. And one of his brothers was like horrified, right? He was clearly marrying a low class woman because she was Sicilian. That was it. That was the only reason. It was just, oh, no, no, we don't we don't intermingle with those people. Yes, it's. I've heard the same from you. That would have been my great grandfather and my great grandmother was Sicilian. And that even the language was so the dialect is so different that yes. they were both had immigrated themselves um and so it yes the world of difference it's uh, not enough just to say italian heritage very very different worlds i was just saying what you, you and i were talking right before i started recording that um my wife and i binged the godfather movies this weekend and it's funny you say that because some of the characters are speaking you know sort of Roman book Italian, and I'm fine. I can generally follow that, except Robert De Niro because he always talks like he has his hand <laughs> over his mouth. I'm like, I, I, wait, Bobby, I can't, I can't make this out. But some of them are clearly speaking Sicilian because all the, if you've seen it written to, all the word endings are different. It's really extremely different language. And I'm like, why do I understand half of these people? That doesn't make any sense. But I realized after a while, it's it's got to be dialect, and just given where they're from, obviously it's. Sicilian, it does. It's like, I imagine this must be like for a Spanish speaker, you hear Catalan, you're like, yeah. that's sort of my language, but that's not my language at all. Yeah, it's interesting. And how I think some of what we think of as um, Italian Americanisms are very mm -hmm. influenced by Sicilian because that was such a large contingent of the immigration wave. Yep. Um, yeah, I know nothing about the specifics. I'm not a very good <laughs> partial Italian American, um, but it is very interesting. To me. Well, the whole like the the way that they cut off, and they do this in those Godfather movies, especially Gabagool and yeah. Mozzarella, and they cut off the end. I'm like, I've been to Italy multiple times, but only to like central to north, and they don't do that at all. It's completely different. And I'm like, oh, that's a half it is just American, obviously, but it must be the Sicilian influence, like you were saying, because that was the poor part of Italy. Yeah, that's, exactly. that's what drove a lot of people here. Um, anyway, this is not the Italian American hour, although we could probably talk that we haven't even talked about food. So I, you know, I feel like we've let we can leave that maybe for a future conversation. Uh, but let's talk a little baseball. Um, one thing I wanted to discuss with you, you had a piece a couple of that's probably about three weeks ago now on Sports Illustrated on the sweeper or the sweepy slider, whatever you want to call this pitch. And you did a really nice dive on what this pitch is, this new type of slider that's not actually that new. So let's talk a little bit about what this pitch is and what you found when talking, when looking into the actual history of this kind of pitch. Yeah, so it, the definition is kind of in the name. Sweeper is a, a slider with that sweeping motion with that big horizontal break, um, <laughs> kind of between a slider and a curve, which... You know, of course, the first time I heard this mentioned to me, I think in spring training, it's kind of really like a, a 
new part of pitch design. It was like, well, we have a term for what's between a slider and a curve. That's, that's a slur. <laughs> like this already exists. Um, but it was just really interesting to, to me to see as kind of the season wore on and there was more discussion about, you, you know, you could clearly see guys had worked on this over the winter, um, particularly in a few organizations, you know, the, the Yankees, um, Lindsay Adler, your athletic coworker did a, a really good piece on how the Yankees did uh, like all this organizational pitch design and they've called their version the Whirly. But the Dodgers also do it, the Rays do it. And I mean, individual pitchers certainly, but you could see from an organizational standpoint, like a lot has been invested over the last year or so in getting guys to work on these. And so that it really played up and was standing out as its own form of pitch, it's, you know, it's something that's distinct from just a slider and certainly from a curve. Um, and I just was really intrigued to see when do we say this is a new pitch? This is not a few guys are throwing a different variation of slider, but this really is its own entity. And so baseball prospectus, Brooks Baseball, um, the, the guys at Driveline have all started classifying it as its own thing, like have set the parameters for if it's this much break and this much drop. And it looks like this, this is a sweeper. It's not a slider. It's not a curve. Um, and I just kind of wanted to dig into that a little of when do you decide this is something different that I'm doing versus this is just what my slider looks like right now, or this is how we as an organization want to have our guys throw sliders in this situation. Um, and so I tried to kind of peel back the layers there somewhat. What I found also interesting is for so long, saying a slider was sweepy uh, was derogatory, right? Yeah. You didn't, you didn't want this and it was no sliders should have more tilt. Um, you know, people, tilt is the most common word, bite, whatever, but they're always looking for sliders that people can't see. I'm gesturing to Emma here, right? We want like more like a 45 degree angle or something closer to that, as opposed to something that is primarily horizontal in break where if that was a cutter, it was okay. Right. Cause it was short. Yeah. But the idea of a slider like that being sweepy or even saying it was like a frisbee these were all you know uh, maybe not that well-defined terms but clearly negative if a scout said that to me i'm immediately envisioning a pitch that's not effective but it seems like what some of these teams have said is that can be effective if executed correctly i don't know if there's specific grip differences but they know the characteristics this actually can be a useful pitch yeah i mean it's interesting because slurve really was in my eyes like kind of a dirty word like if you're yeah. saying he throws a slurve it's like that's a bad slider it's like he can't decide right yeah um and so it it really i think needed a different term if to to be rebranded because if you're going to say it's a slurve even though it is kind of in some ways between a, a slider and a curve no, no one wants a slurve you had to have this sexy rebrand of it's a sweeper it's something different or it's a whirly um and so when i decided i wanted to, to write something about this the first thing that really fascinated me here was that the parameters that baseball prospectus and Brooks baseball are using to classify this, say that Corey Kluber's breaking ball is a sweeper mm. and Kluber for the longest time has said, I don't like to think of my breaking ball as anything. And I, I mean, I think a lot of people know he's not a particularly emotive guy mm. uh, in <laughs> many ways, but th that's kind of been one of the, the lines he's held for a long time is that it, you know, it's not a slider, it's not a curve, and he really doesn't like thinking of it as either that if you call it a slider, like anyone outside can call it whatever they want, but in his head, when someone says slider, he thinks of a certain type of pitch that is not his breaking ball. And when someone says curve again, he's thinking of something else and he can't throw it the way he needs to throw it for it to be successful. 
if he's thinking of it as anything other than a breaking ball. So I was mm-hmm. very excited to ask him. Like they say that it they agree, it's not a slider, it's not a curve. There's finally a term in pitch design for your breaking ball sweeper. What do you think? Breaking ball. Um, <laughs> <laughs> still the same. Damn it. Yeah. But that kind of just opened up another layer to me of, you know, it's interesting. We as writers and analysts and people from the outside are trying to classify pitches with these very precise parameters in a a lot of cases of like, it's, we're measuring exactly how much break and exactly what the velo is. And we can sort it into these bins. And for the guys who are throwing these pitches, a lot of times, you know, mentally, it's a little bit different. Like you're doing whatever you need to do to get the result you want. And sometimes that requires thinking of it in, in different terms or you know it, it that's also another interesting angle to me of you know we spend so much time from the outside trying to classify every pitch and it's like the guys who are growing it sometimes have different opinions i've run into this and i like the idea of of giving new terms to some of these in-betweener pitches because i've run into this i feel i'm trying to remember who the player was but there's a player in this year's draft where he throws what is what essentially looked like two curveballs two different curveballs and you're not supposed to be able to do that right that's just not a thing you throw one curveball you have one one wrist action right and you can throw one curveball and i remember walking away from it i can't believe i can't place this because i feel like i can picture actually picture writing in my notebook like curveball one and curveball two which i never do (laughs) but thinking do we just call the second one a slider because it's harder in velocity but that's not it, you know, for me, it's a little different because I'm just trying to describe to readers. I'm like, what does it look like? But if you're on the team side, you need something far more specific, far more descriptive. And especially when you don't have that type of you know, track man style data like you're describing. We have that. Teams have that on all the minor leaguers. Right. They have it sometimes on amateur players, but not a ton. Nowhere near as much. And so you really do need to like I think there's value in language here in just saying that's what this pitch is. Now, I'm not saying that second curveball I saw as a sweeper, but having a name to distinguish that from the other one, I think also just makes it easier for those of us on the outside to understand, even if the pitchers themselves don't, you know, Corey Kluber doesn't buy into it. Right. And it's something I didn't look into here, but I actually now I'm intrigued by and would like to ask some players about is how this affects hitters. Mm -hmm. Um, Because if you're like, we talk so much about pitch recognition and timing and everything that goes into being a successful hitter here. And I imagine there's also an element of that, of, you know, all your synapses firing, trying to identify what this is and recognize it. The the language of like, okay, not just a a slider with this kind of horizontal movement, like sweeper. I I imagine if that's a different section of your brain lighting up with a specific term, um, Mm -hmm. I'd be curious to know what hitters think about having these more specific terms and what terms they have in their own heads, even if we're not, you know, using the official classifying terms. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You reminded me of an impossible idea I had uh, a couple years ago. Where it's, could we get a hitter into like an fMRI thing right what lights up when he see and when that was the biggest thing right. for me because it's right right it's not like you have a slider thing in your brain well maybe some people do, <laughs> but because I it, it came up when I wrote a thing on Austin Riley last year who went from honestly and I, I think I'm taking his own words here from having pretty poor pitch recognition or especially late pitch recognition to identifying pitches type and location very very early out of the pitcher's hand it's why he went from like a replacement level player essentially to a a top 10 player in the national league last year. I thought if we, I, maybe I don't know what we do with that data. It'd be interesting to see how soon do hitters really recognize that? How soon is the brain actually picking up that kind of information? And I don't know exactly how you would do that. And I don't have an FMR machine in the house right now. <laughs> At least I loaned it to the neighbors. The <laughs> but it would be interesting to see how quickly they do pick it up because I think that's such a big separator between maybe between good hitters and the greatest hitters, but those who can pick it up and do so accurately sooner have such a big advantage, even even if we're talking about microseconds of difference. Yeah, it, it's fascinating to me because as you're saying, it's such small variations in when you're noticing it, what you're noticing. And I've, I've talked to some players about this generally, and I think a lot of them, it's hard to put into words, right? It's, yeah. Your brain is moving so fast. It's not like you have a specific process where you're looking for like, okay, if A, then not B, and if not B, then perhaps C, like, I mean, it's three seconds, it's less than three seconds, right? and you're focused on so much else, and your stance, and your timing, and whatever the situation and the context is, like, it, there's just not a lot you can explain, or maybe I'm not asking the right questions, um, because I've never gotten a very good answer, including from some, like, very thoughtful players, but I just... I think that's one of the most fascinating parts of the game to me still of like, what is going on in your brain to be able to do this? And I, maybe the answer is the fMRI machine. It's, it's not my questions. It's <laughs> we need medical technology. It's just that I think of, you know, I'm often sitting behind the plate, um, particularly if I'm there to evaluate a pitcher. Um, and you know, it's always, I always figure, Hey, if I can pick up that pitch type, then the hitter can, right. I'm not, it's not life or death for me. Right. Um, and I'm not trained in this like they are. But if I can see that change up out of the pitcher's hand, then the hitter's probably a good hitter is going to pick that up just as much. It's amazing to me when I get fooled. I'm like, well, I had way more time yeah. than that hitter did. And I saw, um, you may know the name Dylan Lesko from this year's draft class. So, right, he's hurt now, but I happen to be at the last outing before he hurt his elbow. And he threw a change up. That was so good. A veteran scout I know in front of me turned around, I think, so the players wouldn't see him laughing because it was so effective out of his hand. Like you just people who've done this for 15. I've been doing this for 20 years now. Just fooled us, just completely fooled us. And I'm thinking that poor 15 year old at the plate has zero shot to pick that up and to be able to hone that skill. A lot just through experience to me is one of the most amazing things that baseball players are able to do. Yeah, 100%. That's, I mean, everything that uh, Pitching Ninja and the proliferation of like pitching analysis has given us by far the biggest thing to me is the overlays of different pitch types where you can see at the same time, this is how late it's diverging and this is how you're getting (laughs) crazy 
spreads of difference in pitches in like a matter of milliseconds. Like those are the ones that I always have to stop to watch even more so than like a, you know, a really cartoonish whiff or like yeah. a, just a crazy individual pitch. It's the, the overlays are the ones that always get me because it's crazy. It's unbelievable that hitters can hit at all, can hit yes. where, given how good major league pitching is right now. Uh, you wrote another piece uh, just last week on, uh, actually on one of my favorite players in baseball and Brett Phillips, um, who I've always have a, had a bit of an affinity before because I ranked him uh, in his draft class. It was 10 years ago, actually. And I just did the redraft on that. And I had him number 100 in the draft class. And somehow he saw it. <laughs> and he even said, you were the only one who believed in me. I'm like, that's great. Yes, I'm glad to hear it. It's always <laughs> nice to hear. I, obviously, I heard his name from other people, too. I didn't just come up with it organically. But I've always sort of had a little bit of more of an affinity for him following his career. And he is fun, just a really fun player, despite just some pretty clear deficiencies in his game. There are things he does really well. And the, what, what you focused on that I loved was the way he plays, the joy of watching Brett Phillips play baseball. Yeah, this is, I, I wanted to profile him for exactly that reason of just from watching him from afar, you know, it's easy for someone to be joyous when they're hitting a walk-off in the World Series, which he did when you're in those big moments, but mm -hmm. that joy shines through when he's, you know, coming off the bench in a random Wednesday afternoon game that they're losing, that joy shows through in like everything he does. And I would love to have that in my own life and work, but I really don't I'm like, <laughs> just much more cynical about everything and so yeah I just wanted to go into it with like how are you this joyous in, in yeah. seemingly everything you do from afar and after talking to you know his wife and his family and his teammates it really does seem like he is that joyous in everything he does I remember hearing about him in the draft too when people see he's a pretty good athlete he plays hard you often hear he plays like his hair is on fire which I actually think applies in this case yeah. The other thing I remember somebody saying he has a howitzer for an arm. I was like, I have to look that up. I think that's good, <laughs> right? That's really good. Yes. And it is actually accurate. Now we've seen him pitch too, which to me is part of it, that he is this, I'll do whatever. I don't care. You need me to catch for seven innings today? Sure. He just seems like the guy who's just happy to be there. And maybe that fits. Obviously, that's the kind of player he'll probably always have to be to have a job. But the fact that he is not just versatile, but willing to do anything and will do anything like it's his job, right? They put him on the mound in a blowout. I guess that was right before you wrote the thing or probably right around the time you were researching it. He had done one of those. It's like, that's the, that's it. That's the, the thing we want to bottle and capture and wish there were more players like that. Yeah. I mean, and this is something that uh, parts of this kind of made it in the piece, parts of it didn't, but you know, we were talking for a while about hitting and he was just like, hitting is very hard for me. I, which I, I don't think is a, probably a surprise to people watching him that, you know, mm -hmm. that's not something that at this level against this pitching is a like natural, like I have to put in all this work and it still usually is not what I want. And I am willing to do all of that work and try, but I know at the end of the day, like I'm the hitter that I am. Everything else is just, I am so happy to be on the field. I, this is amazing. Why would I not want to take every single chance I can get to do anything on a major league baseball field or in a major league baseball dugout or clubhouse or bus or plane, just everything else is, you know, if you do the work, the rest of it just is kind of there. And why would you not want to enjoy it? Which is, um, is just such a lovely perspective because you're right. It, you know, it, 
it is a job and it is a grind and for lots of reasons it can be very hard in lots of ways and it's very nice to see someone who approaches it like that i feel like we not we you and me you specifically you do this you we we tend to disdain or even discourage players from being like him right don't show too much joy don't act like this is fun this is this baseball is very serious business which i have i think i've always had a hard time with i take my job seriously however I also recognize a this is a game yeah. and if you are like if you're not enjoying writing about baseball go do something else there's a million people behind you who would love to be able to do this and so I've recognized recognize the kind of frivolous nature of what we get to do for a living and you know that's true for him too and I feel like often too, way too often that joy that zest for playing comes off as he's not taking it seriously he's just screwing around and i'm glad that that was kind of never beaten out of him um especially as he's moved through god was he on his fourth or fifth organization that's fourth there you go yeah and i I think especially you're right as writers with broadcasters analysts all of that i it is a job every job is still a job even if it's your dream job even if it's the most incredible thing in the world it's still a job and there's a lot that we do have to take very seriously like parts of this game and particularly this game as a business that need that kind of seriousness but everything else it just it makes me so sad to see when just that joy is totally absent from someone um and especially not to be all high and mighty about it but like when your job is to share the sport with readers and with fans, viewers, whatever lens that's going through, to share baseball with people and make people want to spend their time on baseball. How can you not carry some of that joy into it and want to show like whatever made you want to do it in the first place? And, um, you know, I get it. it. It's, there are serious parts. It is hard. It is a job, but also it's baseball. Mm-hmm. And it, it yeah. does make me sad to see that missing. I always tell people I don't complain about my job because no one wants to hear yeah. it, right? Yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry for you. You get to watch baseball for a living. So, okay, I'm going to go have another drink yeah. now. Never mind. <laughs> uh, you also wrote a really lovely piece uh, after Roger Angel died earlier this month. And I will concede I have probably not read as much Roger Angel as a lot of other baseball writers have. My path into being a baseball writer was kind of very indirect. But I have read enough of his stuff to know that, and I even said on his passing, people who try to say he's, he was a great baseball writer, kind of missing the point. This was a great writer who happened to choose baseball as his milieu for a, for most of his career. But this was somebody who was a writer first. And I really admire that's something I would like to be, even though the vast majority of the words I write are about baseball. I hope people look at me and say, he's a good writer, and he happens to write about baseball, as opposed to he's a good baseball writer, which to me is, I don't know, sounds kind of like something less. Yeah, it's a... <laughs> It's definitely a distinction. I also would yeah. like to think I'm aspiring toward a good writer first mm-hmm. and baseball being my category, but um, we'll see how <laughs> often I uh, live up to that. But yes, I just, I loved all of his work so much and I, I'm sad that I, there's, you know, so much I didn't read of his that I, now that he's, you know, passed away, I think I'd like to spend some of the summer going through I'm sure there's, you know, there's lots in the archives that I haven't read. There's lots that's not in his collections. I mean, he, he was at the New Yorker for almost 70 years. That's a lot of material. Um, my God. But yes, he's certainly, <laughs> certainly my favorite baseball writer and one of my favorite writers. You linked to uh, his piece on Steve Blass too, which is, um, I actually have your article up. Would you, a masterclass, you called it, a masterclass in reporting that is sensitive 
while being direct. So for folks who don't know, Steve Blast was sort of the classic case of the guy who got the yips or the thing. And for a long time, I think we've kind of gotten away from this, but it, I think Bill James may have even started this. They called it Steve Blast disease, yeah. right? He had the, Bill James at least promulgated it if he didn't originally coin the phrase. I think we've gotten away from that. Now people just call it the yips, the thing, it. Um, and we're trying to like, it's like we're trying to talk about death, right? Let's just find any euphemism we possibly can to describe this. Um, and that piece is up, still up on the New Yorker, as is, I think, most of his archive. And it is a beautifully written piece about a kind of a taboo subject in our sport. And that he could do that, I think, is a testament to his greatness as just, again, as you said, as a writer, um, not just a baseball writer. Yeah, I think he just had a phenomenal gift for seeing people. Um, which mm-hmm. translates very well to, to baseball, obviously made of people. Yes. Um, but I, I think just his ability to talk to people in ways that he was able to figure out what mattered to them, why they were doing what they were doing. I think this shows through really well in his, his Bob Gibson profile, uh, which is another one of his mm-hmm. most famous ones. But in that Steve Blass piece, I think, you know, it would have been so easy. Like you said, people talk about this euphemistically. People talk about it as if like speaking it aloud gives it more power. Um, that the, the yips are this like awful, just foreign entity no one wants to invite into their baseball lives. And <laughs> the, his ability to just talk really honestly and directly with, with Steve Blast, with his family, former teammates, all of that about what this looked like and what it meant and to still write it sensitively and in a way that didn't, you know, drag down someone who was already dealing with something very difficult, but just kind of cast it very honestly and openly um, without like playing it up even more by beating too much around the bush and being too euphemistic. Like, it just so skilled as a reporter as well as a writer and just I, the, the best of any of us. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. So before I let you go, I do want to talk about one or two current, more current stories. We're not going to talk about the fantasy football slap. I think that's been covered sufficiently at this point. Although I know you got a kick out of that, as did I. And I, my wife, who, who does, she plays fantasy football and I don't. Um, she was, I think, more interested in that story maybe than I was. But let's talk a little bit about the Mets because um, listeners know, obviously, I hate the Mets. And so never miss a chance to to rile their fans up or talk down to them. So are the Mets, the Mets, I believe, actually have the largest lead right now of any anyone currently atop a division. So are we buying? Are we in? Or do you see, do you want to, even if you don't actually see, you could just make it up. Do we see dark times ahead for this Mets squad? I think some form of dark times always has to be ahead for the Mets, just because it's a <laughs> psychically brought on deep-seated need for that darkness. Um, I believe it. I think, as you said, it's the biggest divisional lead, which is helped by the rest of the NL East being what it has been so far. Um, that's credit to the, the Braves and the Phillies for shaking out right where they have right now. Yep. Um, but <laughs> The fact that they've been, if, if they have, were doing what they had done to date with perfect health from DeGrom and Scherzer and McGill, I would say, ah, like this is where it's all going to fall apart in the next six weeks. They'll all be 
injured, it'll be a mess, but th that they've done this without them or with them in varying capacities, uh, it is just so striking to me. It's like they've seen their one core, the one core thing that would bring them down. Like if pitcher health was the sort of Damocles hanging over their head, they just got it out of the mm -hmm. way right from the beginning and managed to win the whole time despite it. And all the like jokes of psychic Mets trauma aside, like this was built to be a very good team. <laughs> like it's not yes. as if this was surprising. Like this was constructed to be a great team that would win. And it, it, it's done that. And um, yeah, I uh, am enjoying it. And also I'm enjoying how much, how tortured Mets fans are even in watching something as wonderful as what this season has been with the, <laughs> the knowledge that it might crumble at any moment. Well, I feel like they can at least figure, hey, some of our players who are your know, top performers so far may regress or may get hurt. But there's there are also the guys you mentioned potentially coming back at some point, too. You're not on this knife's edge, which is kind of what I see with the Brewers right now, who I thought, I think most of us probably thought they were going to win the division. You looked at that front three in their rotation and thought, yeah, that's enough, especially in a division where a couple teams are maybe not trying that hard. That's enough for them to win the division. But now two of those three are hurt. Freddie Peralta might be out for a long time. Brandon Woodruff just hit the IL. And the replacements that they've been bringing in for these guys are obviously nowhere near the caliber of two guys who were among the, I don't know, maybe top 10 pitchers in the league right. last year. So, you know, to me, and my opinion is, I, I, I agree with you. I think this Mets team is really legitimately good. I definitely think they're going to win the division. If I'm a Brewers fan, I'm a little more concerned right now. Yeah, that is not a, a roster with nearly as much give for uh, just allowance for the general badness that can happen in a baseball season there's just not that much of a cushion there and they do have i believe you know four games up on the cardinals right now the the rest mm -hmm. of the division you know is giving them plenty of space but um <laughs> to put it nicely yeah so it's a good i like that euphemism actually <laughs> we're gonna give you some room up there yeah it's polite it's personal space yes that's right um, but yeah i i would certainly be much more nervous as a as a brewers fan right now which, which is a bummer because i that was one of the things I was most excited to heading into this season was to see what their rotation could do as a group. And I mean, certainly it, this isn't doom and gloom forever, but it, it is no. a bummer to see, you know, two of those top three out. Last question for you of the teams that I think we're trying to contend this year that are currently below 500. So I'm looking at Red Sox, Tigers, Royals, Mariners, especially, um, you know, you could probably see the Phillies. Oh, God, Atlanta's still under 500, too. I actually don't think I realized that until this very minute. Any Mar You could put the Marlins in there, too. Any of those teams you're particularly thinking, they're, they're going to be okay. They're going to pull out, regardless of the fact that, like, everybody makes the playoffs at this point. But which of those teams do you feel like they're going to be fine? This is, we're not even 50 games in. Let's not overreact yet. It's funny you make that comment about everyone making the playoffs now, because I was just saying to someone that I haven't properly calibrated my brain yet to adjust for the new playoff structure that I, I look at the standings and I still am so used to the idea of it being what it had been for so long that the idea of that extra wild card really throws me. It's not like downloaded into my brain yet. Um, you know, I, I think the Red Sox are the best of the teams that you shared, the division mm -hmm. that they're in, I think, makes it the most difficult for them to actually do anything in. I still, I like them as certainly the best of that set on paper. Mm -hmm. I 
think it's still possible for them. I think I would have to go with them, but uh, it's it's certainly an uphill climb in the AL East. Yeah, I agree. That is extremely difficult. And Baltimore not being a pushover anymore kind of makes a difference. And they're they they've only brought still only brought up one of the prospects. I think we'll see several more come up over the course of this year. Where by you know if you got a lot of Baltimore left in August and September, that might not be such a good thing. Yeah, it's going to make it a lot more interesting than we've uh, thought in years past of what that means on yeah, the schedule. I'm looking forward to that because I've not had a good reason to go down to Camden Yards to see a young player on actually on the Orioles. <laughs> and now, of course, Adley got called up and I was out of town, but I'm hoping at some point like Grayson Rodriguez will come up and they'll, first of all, I hope they announce it a day or two in advance and that we can all make our plans. But yeah, I would love to go down there and actually be there. And frankly, to be there, not just to watch the player, but Orioles fans have been dying for these guys to come up. They're ready. Their Orioles fans know as much about their farm system as probably any fan base in baseball right now. That's what they've been hanging on, hanging on to. And now to see one of those guys come up, to be there the night one of those guys come up would actually be pretty fun, not just not as a writer so much, but as a fan. Yeah, that's I, I was thinking about this the other day. I did a story in I guess 2019, or was at Camden Yards, and as a like an exercise, I counted and kept track of the first 100 jerseys I saw on the concourse to see how many mm. Orioles fans right now in this just awful stretch of 2019 are wearing the players of current Orioles or wearing the jerseys of current player players. And it was like 12. They it was all oh, Trey Mancini. <laughs> um yeah. and uh yes, right. and that was like really all you had. Uh and so yes, it's just that's such a great fan base. And my I was gonna say one of my favorite places to watch a ball game, maybe my favorite Still one of mine. yeah, bar none. And so yes, to see them with something to actually celebrate will be very nice. Yeah, it's my second closest major league stadium, and I never go. I can't remember the last time I was actually there, but I have a feeling in the next couple of years I'll be there a lot. Yes, and pre- actually pretty close to you too. Yes, I'm in DC, so yep. looking forward to going yep. out to Baltimore more. Excellent. My guest today has been Emma Bachelieri. You should follow her on Twitter. I'm going to spell this very slowly, uh, especially because my first email to you bounced because I spelled it wrong. Uh, she on Twitter. She is at Emma E M M A Bachelieri B A C C E L L I E R I. Did I get that right? Wallace. Thank you. You should follow her, and you can see her work at Sports Illustrated. Emma, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. That's all for this week's show. Thank you so much for joining me. Just a reminder, I do send out about twice a month a free email newsletter. You can sign up at tinyletter.com slash keithlaw. And if you're not already following me on social media, you can find me on Twitter at keithlaw or on the Facebook at keithlawwriter. Thanks so much for listening. Stay safe. Stay safe.